I want to share today, if you got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25. During the summer, we decided instead of doing series, we wanted to give opportunities to different speakers in the church and myself to just just speak on whatever's on their heart and, and kind of do these one at a time, whatever we felt like God was leading us to share. And there has been specifically one story, but, but kind of two stories in the book of Matthew that have resonated with me so strongly over the last couple of weeks. I shared in some devotions with the staff, and I don't know how God works with you. I know how he works with me when he's trying to teach me something, and I don't listen the first time because I'm so stubborn. Anybody, and you've been stubborn with God before, anybody? Okay, so I get stubborn. There's about seven of us, and we get stubborn, and God uh, he just keeps hitting us over the head with a, a story in the Bible or a Bible verse or a sermon or a statement or a conversation. And it gets lodged in your head and lodged in your heart. That's why it's so important to read the Bible and listen to sermons and things like that because there's something God wants to teach you, something he wants to tell you, and he will lodge it in there and keep bringing it to mind until you learn what it is that he's trying to teach you. And so I want to read two stories specifically today. The first one is Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start with verse 14. Verse 14, all right? You got it? It'll be up on the screen for you too, all right? Here's what it says. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted, everybody say entrusted, entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in, it in proportion to their abilities. Don't miss that statement. We're gonna come back to that. But there's a reason each person got what they got. Like it wasn't a random draw. The man in this story who represents God said, you're a five-bag kind of guy, you're a two-bag kind of guy, and you're a one-bag kind of guy. So it wasn't random. It was divided according to their abilities. All right? Uh, he, then he left on his trip. The servant who received, verse 16, who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more if you struggle with math, that is 100% return, all right? Verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Does anybody know what percentage return that is? That's 100, all right, here we go, 18. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Everybody say small. It was actually the biggest of all the three, but it was still it was still small. So now I will give you many more responsibilities because you were faithful in handling this small amount. I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 22, the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, 
You gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in, in, uh, in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities because you have been faithful in handling this small amount. I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, well, see, what had happened was, um, master... I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. I just want to make the point real quick. It's not the point. We'll move on. I just want to make the point real quick. He didn't lose the money. Like, it's not that bad. Like, he didn't lose it. Like, if I let you borrow my car and I come back and you said, hey, I upgraded you to a Lexus, I'd be like, well done, good and faithful servant. But if I came back and you were like, I didn't wreck it, that's not bad, right? So he says, I dig it. Like, I'm going to give it back to you, okay? And then uh, and the, guy, and the man in the story says, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, in other words, if you knew I expected return, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. 28, then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And then 29 is the drop the mic verse. To those who use well... What they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. Now, it gets a little bit like awkward sometimes in church when you start talking about abundance and start talking about, um, and this story is specifically talking about money. We're not talking about money today. We're talking about everything that's been entrusted to us. But God says in the story here, you did good. I'm going to bless you with abundance. Like that's straight out of the text. And I don't know why when we read that, sometimes we want to be like, I don't know about that. Like, yes, please. Yes, please. I'll take that. And if you don't want yours, I'll take yours. All right. Like, I'm in. I love that. Okay. So we want to receive that. And then he says, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And we read that verse and it just seems a little bit unfair. Just a, just a little bit unfair. I, uh, I was a teenager, and I, was, I think I was 14. I was trying to remember last night. I was 14. I lived in Atlanta at the time, and my dad and my brother and I uh, would go frequently down to the Braves games down at Turner Field. And uh, my brother loves baseball. He played baseball in college. Um, he is very good. I played baseball growing up. I was athletic enough to kind of be pretty good at it, but like I just didn't care about baseball, right? I was kind of focused on some other sports, and, but Jeremy loved baseball. So anytime he could go to a game, he's got three boys of his own now. They're playing baseball every night of the week. Like they are baseball through and through. So Jeremy's pumped to get down there to, to watch the Braves again. I'm just, that's cool. You know, I'm along for the ride. So we get to Turner Field. It's Turner Field, which means it's half empty. And so we just keep moving down, moving down, moving down until eventually... We are sitting on the front row where we can look into the Philadelphia Phillies dugout, okay? Philadelphia Phillies dugout. We are, we are front, we're front row. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you guys to believe about me, but my mouth got me into a lot of trouble growing up, okay? 
I know that's hard for some of you to believe, but it's true. My mouth got me in a lot of trouble. I, am, I have been kicked out of a few high school basketball games. Anyway, so the point is that I'm sitting there on the front row uh, of Turner Field looking into the Phillies dugout, and I, I, mean, I can see all the players. It's like the sixth inning. I can see all the players, and I decided, being a Braves fan, I'm going to start talking trash to the Philly players in the dugout. And so, man, I start talking trash, like, and, and there was this one guy uh, his name was Rob Ducey, okay? And I, he wasn't a famous player, but he, but he was an outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies, but he wasn't playing in this game. He's sitting on the bench, and I'm just running my mouth to this guy. And I'm like, Ducey! I'm like, if you had any talent, you'd be in the game. I mean, I'm just like running my mouth. Ducey, only your mama thinks you're good. I mean, I'm just like running my mouth like a 13 or 14-year-old kid. And he's trying so hard not to look at me, you know, but I'm just like, I mean, I'm just letting him have it you know, and just having fun or whatever. My brother's like, oh my God, please shut up. Like, I, you're embarrassing me, you know? And so I just keep running my mouth. And at the end of the game, the, the, the Braves blew the save, the Phillies win, all the players are going out to shake hands and we're getting ready to leave. And Rob Ducey looks at me and he says, don't move. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and so Jeremy and dad are like, okay. So Doozy goes out there and shakes hands and he comes back into the dugout and he grabs his bat and he walks over to me and he signs it and he hands it to me and he says, listen, kid, you're probably going to need this one day the way you run your mouth. <laughs> He's like, keep your mouth shut a little more often. And so I'm sitting here holding an autographed bat from a major league baseball player and I look over at my brother and my brother is like, are you kidding me? This always happens to you. You don't even care about baseball. You run your mouth, you talk about his mom, and he gives you an autographed bat. Are you serious? If you are an older sibling in here, you know what it's like to feel a lot like life is not fair, right? You know what that's like? I was bringing this up to Andrea last night, and Andrea's like, I mean, like, just deep hurt in her heart. She's like, yeah, my parents wouldn't let me get a tanning bed membership, and my sister got one. I mean, it was just like... A lot of deep-rooted bitterness right there just threw up right out of her mouth. I mean, she was, she was upset about it. You know what it's like. And my brother said that night at the Braves game, he said, this is so not fair. This is so not fair. This always happens for you. This kind of stuff never happens for me. All of us have had moments in life when life didn't feel fair. Maybe it was little things, you know, between a a sibling like we were talking about, but really at some deeper rooted levels, especially when it comes to our relationship with God and life and spirituality, we can struggle with feeling like God's not fair, life's not fair because of certain scenarios in our life. Like for example, maybe you were born into a family that had all kinds of issues and you hear me talk about my family and how incredible it is. And you think, well, that's not fair. Why was I born into the family that I was born into, but, but they were born into to that family? Or maybe you look at someone who is successful and you say, why do they have so much more money than me? It's not fair. It's not fair. Why, maybe you say, like, why can't I seem to catch a break and they always land on their feet. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you know somebody in your life. It's like they make stupid decision after stupid decision. They keep landing on their feet. 
And you say, that's not, that's not fair. Maybe someone you cared about died. Maybe you prayed for them to be healed and they weren't healed. And you say, well, how come my mom died and, and somebody else was, was healed? Maybe you say to yourself, why didn't I grow up with a dad? It's not fair. It's not fair that I didn't get to grow up with a dad. Maybe you would say, why am I not married yet? And they've been married four times. It's not fair. Why can't I have a baby? Why do I have an addiction? Why did I have to get a divorce? Why did my spouse have to cheat on me? Why did God give me this metabolism? Come on, right? Like, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I'm going to go old school today and give my message a title, and we'll just call it today being faithful when it doesn't seem fair. I want to talk about being faithful when it doesn't seem fair. I want to read another story to you. Matthew chapter 20. It'll be up on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can do that. Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read 1 through 16, and then we'll get to to where we're trying to go, okay? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing, so he hired them telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. Uh, Verse five, so they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. He goes out, he finds the guys. He says, come work for me, I'll pay you what's fair. Verse six, at five o'clock in the afternoon, now they worked until until the sun set. They didn't work eight to five. They worked sun up to sundown. So he goes out at five o'clock. There's probably two, maybe two hours left, something like that. Five o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw some more people standing around, and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. And the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed, and you know what happens when you assume, they they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Verse 11, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. It is, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Last line, should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? Great question. Are you jealous because I'm good to others? I love reading these two stories back to back because I think when you place them side by side, they, they teach them, uh, they, they teach us several important uh, things and truths about God. Like, I love the fact that I serve a God who turns five into 10 and I serve a God who turns two into four. That, that's, that, I love that I serve a God that does those types of things. I love that I serve a God who invited me to work in his vineyard 
when I had nothing else to do. In the story, if you didn't pick up on it, the landowner is God and we are the workers. And so if we're the workers, I don't know when it happened in your life, but at some point, God showed up and said, what are you doing with your life? And you looked at him and you were like, I don't know. And God said, well, come be with me. And you said, okay. And you agreed to be a part of that relationship. But along the way, just like in this story, we, we begin to assume and expect God to do certain things more than he ever maybe told us that he would do. If we're not careful, we begin to believe that God owes us something. And so the problem is that we assume that because God is good, God is fair. God is not fair. And that is a great thing because if God was fair, there would be no grace. If God was fair, there would be no mercy. If God was fair, there would have been no cross. If God was fair, we would all be in hell. We do not want God to be fair. We want God to be incredibly gracious. And you can read stories in the Bible. What about the story of Moses? I mean, God shows up and says, lead my people. And he leads these people who are absolutely terrible people to lead. And he does so faithfully. And because one day he hits a rock with a stick, after 40 years of leading the people, God says, that's it, you're out. You're not going to get to see the promised land. I mean, right. I mean, it's God, but it seems so unfair. What about the prophet? I think it was Jeremiah. It may not be Jeremiah, but God said, I'm going to kill your wife. And I don't want you to mourn so that you can show the people what it looks like to not mourn. What? What kind of plan is that? I mean, we could, we could keep giving story after story where God is not fair. But listen to me. God is always good. Amen. He's always good. But that doesn't mean that he's fair the way that we think of fairness. And that maybe upsets us the first time that we think about it. And so we can take away so many things from this story. I mean, we don't have time to break down every one of these, these things that we can take away, but I just listed down a bunch of them that I, that I love about it. Um, you know, one thing we can take away from this story is that God is 100% in charge. In both of these stories, he's the boss. And he's 100% in charge. And he does what he wants to do, what he thinks is best to do. He gives one guy five based on his ability. He gives one guy two. He gives one guy one. He hires people at different times. He is 100% in charge. Another thing we can take away from the story is that results are up to God. I love that. I love that results are not up to me, that faithfulness is up to me, but results are up to God. And if God says, I'm going to make you a 10-bag guy, he'll make me a 10-bag guy. If he wants to make me a four-bag guy, he'll make me a four-bag guy. But that's up to God. The results are not on me. What about this? We can take away from the story that comparing myself to you will only make me prideful or jealous. So if I spend my life determining my worth based on what you get, I'm either going to be incredibly prideful because you're a loser, or I'm going to be incredibly jealous because I'm a loser. So, so especially in the story of the vineyard workers, if I spend my time looking around saying, what do you make and what do you make and how hard do you work? I'm only going to upset myself. Only going to upset myself. Another thing we can take away from the story is I'm only responsible with what has been given to me. If God gives me two, I'm only responsible for my two. I'm not responsible for your two. I'm not responsible for your five. 
not responsible for your want, not responsible for your workload or your hours that you work. God only holds me responsible for what has been given to me. Here's another thing we can take away from the story. God expects me to work. Ugh. I don't like that one, but it's true. God expects me to work. We, both of these stories, he says, I'm gonna give you this, do something with it. Hey, you're not working, come work for me, and if you work, I will pay you. God expects us to put in effort. Can we just do nothing and pray and he show up sometimes? Yeah, because he's a good God and he's unfair to us in the best possible ways. So yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've blown it and God says, I'm gonna make it right for you. Or I've done nothing when I should have done something, but God expects me to work. Here's one more that we can take away from this story. That God has given me everything that I need to succeed. Based on my ability, God has given me everything that I need to do what it is that he's called me to do. I don't know what he's given you, and I don't know what he's called you to do, but he's given me what I need in order to do what he's called me to do. And so what I love about the story, especially the first one of the talents, is that everybody, when you read the story, we all read the story and assume we're a five-bag guy, right? Everybody, nobody reads the story and is like, I might be the guy with one. Like, no, we all read it and we're like, yeah, I'm a five-bag guy, especially the men in the room. Like, yeah, I mean, based on their abilities, I'm a five-bag guy, right? And so we read the story, and so because of the way that our culture and society works, we assume that somehow the guy with two or the guy with one is less than the guy with five, That that the hero in the story is the guy with five, or we think the guy who won was the guy who had 10. He didn't win. God said you were faithful, and he doubled it. But he also doubled the guy with two and turned it in to four. More is not always better. And the guy with the most doesn't always, doesn't always win. But there is a truth that we have to come to terms with, and that is that God does not make everyone the same. And God does not start everyone at the same starting line. That's what the story says, doesn't it? It says that based on their abilities, he assessed what they could handle. And this can sometimes be uncomfortable and it can make us feel like God is being unfair, but God knew exactly what you could handle and he has divvied up what he knows you can handle. He looks at your life knowing how perfectly that he formed you exactly for what he called you to do. And he said, based on how I made Jason and what I'm calling him to do with his life, here's what I'm entrusting to him. And so in a sense, in a way, God has given you exactly what he wants you to have. You say, well, wait a second, Jason, like you don't know my life. God wouldn't want me to have this. Like this is really bad. I'm saying at a, at a core level, God has given you everything that he wants you to have. And then based on the story, if you will work it and if you will be faithful to it, he will take what you have and he will bless it and he will make it better. That's good. He'll make it better. So let's just get really practical. 
You say, Jason, my family is awful. My kids are terrible. Like, God gave me some kids, like, wow. And God says, okay, if you will faithfully parent those children, I'll make it better. I'll bless it. He said, well, my marriage is not where it wants to be, and if I'd have known this about this person, I probably never would have married him. And yeah, that's probably true, but the fact of the matter is maybe you've got a one-bag marriage right now. Maybe you've got a two-bag marriage right now. And you're looking around and you're saying, well, why isn't it better? And why don't I have this? And why do they have this? But God says, if you will work it and you will be faithful to it and you'll love him like he's a five-bag guy, even though he's only a two-bag guy, and you'll treat her like she's a five-bag girl when maybe she's not acting like a five-bag girl, God says, if you'll be faithful to it, I will bless it and I will make it better. He said, Jason, my financial situation, my, my, the, it's, not, it's not good. And largely based on my own stupidity. But maybe it's also based on career. Maybe it's based on the job. Jason, the job I have is like a one-bag job. And I feel called to more than that. And I want to be more than that. And I wish I could have a career doing this. And this is what I really want to be. And God says, if you will treat that one-bag job like it's a five-bag job, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to make it better. Because what did he say? He says, because you have been faithful in managing the small, I know that I can trust you with more. So you want a better job. You want more money. You want a better marriage. You want a better family. You want more responsibility in life. What are you doing with what you currently have? How are you treating what you currently have? Because if you treat one bag like one bag, it's going to stay one bag. If you show up late and you leave early to your job and you treat it like it's junk, it will always be junk. If you don't put any time into your marriage because you think it's a one bag marriage, it will stay a one bag marriage. And here's where... We can get a little bit like, ooh, I don't know, Jason, theologically. But when we read that the guy with 10 took, got the guy who had one, so now we got a guy with 11, a guy with four, and a guy with zero. And we're like, that just doesn't seem fair. It seems so unfair. They took all that he had and took it away from him and gave it to the guy with 10. It just seems like the rich are getting richer. This is even a very political thing in our culture and society nowadays. Everything needs to be equal, right? But let me tell you the way that kingdom of God works based on what we can read in parable after parable. Is that God keeps blessing the faithful. God keeps blessing the faithful. And if you live your life with a victim mindset that says that's not fair and I deserve this and somebody should have given this to me or this is not right, that they have more than I have, you are gonna continue to view life as a victim and you're gonna continue to view life through the lens that somebody owes you something or that God owes you something or that somebody else is, is bad because they have more than you. And the reality is, is that all of us have the same opportunity 
that God did not start us at the same starting line in life, but he gave us all the same opportunity to be faithful with what we have and to be blessed with more when we've shown that we can be trusted. There's no formula. I can't say like, well, if you do it for three months, then it'll be right. You got to do it for this long, but I know that God says in his word that if we will faithfully work what we have, he will bless it to be more than what we have now. Right? If you'll work your job faithfully, raise your kids faithfully, love your spouse faithfully, show up when you want to stay home, give when you want to hold on to, say no when you want to say yes, if you, if you will faithfully work what you have, then you're going to keep getting blessed. But if you live with a victim mindset, you're just going to keep getting more upset when the blessed get more blessed. I'm going to say that one more time. If you keep living with a victim mindset, you're going to keep getting more upset when the blessed keep getting blessed. So I want to end by reading you this one, um, this one verse of Scripture. Matthew 11. It's actually not going to be up on the screen because I thought about it while I was standing down there this morning. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, John the Baptist was in jail, and um, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and so you would assume that if there was anybody that could call in a favor from Jesus, it would be a family member. He's been arrested for really doing nothing wrong but just proclaiming morality. He's been arrested. He knows he's probably going to be killed in that jail. Jesus has shown up. He's doing incredible things. And John the Baptist, like, he knows Jesus. He baptized Jesus. But when life gets bad, when life gets bad and things seem to, to, to not go the way we want, we can begin to doubt God, even though we knew at one time he was good, he was faithful, he was awesome. Like, Things now are causing us to doubt God. And so John the Baptist from jail sends two of his disciples to Jesus to say, are you who you really say? Like, are you the real deal? And what John the Baptist is asking, let me paraphrase, is if you're the real deal, are you going to get me out of jail? Is what he's saying. And so verse four, Jesus told the disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. That's actually being pulled from the book of Isaiah. John the Baptist would know it. Jesus would know it. It's being pulled from the book of Isaiah. In other words, Jesus is saying, go back and tell John all the incredible things that are happening. Deaf people are seeing. Blind people are hearing. Good news is being preached to the poor. And John the Baptist would know from Isaiah. But there's one more verse in Isaiah that Jesus leaves out. It says that the prisoner will be set free. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, go back and tell John. And so John, knowing that verse in Isaiah, is probably like, yeah, the deaf ear, the blind see, and the prisoner will be set free. Like, yes, this is exactly what I thought would happen. This is great. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said, go back and tell John how incredible it is for everybody else. And he's sending a little message like, I'm not getting you out. And then verse six, 
Jesus says, tell John the Baptist, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Other translations say it like this, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. In other words, Jesus says, tell John he's not getting out. He's not going to get what he wants. But blessed are those who can look at life when it seems unfair and it seems like I'm not doing what they want me to do and still say, God, you're good. You're the real deal. Even if I don't get what I want, you're the real deal. You're the real deal. And so as we look at our lives today, all of us would identify a place in our lives where we would say it's not what we want it to be. It's not what I want it to be. And I really wish God would help me with this. And we can all find areas where we want to be more. But our response to our lives and to the opportunities that God's given us, the blessings he's given us, the money he's given us, the careers, the kids, the spouses, the, everything. When we look at what we have in our lives, our response to God has to be faithfulness and thanks. It has to be. Our response to God should be, thank you, God, for giving me this job. It's not the job that I hope I do the rest of my life, but thank you for showing up when I was doing nothing and giving me a chance. Thank you, God, for giving me a job. Thank you, God, for blessing me or trusting me. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. God, I'm going to treat my two like they're 20. I'm going to treat this job like it's a 10-bag job. I'm going to treat my life, my, my opportunities. God, thank you for what you have given me based on what you know I can handle at this time. And God, I'm going to work too like it's 20. Thank you, and I'm going to be faithful. So I'm going to work my job like it's a five-bag job. I'm going to handle my money like I'm a millionaire I'm going to love my family even though we're struggling because, God, I know you're the God who turns two into four and five into ten if I will be faithful. So I want to encourage all of us today to be more thankful for what we do have and to be more faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And if we will do that, he will bless us with more. The blessed will keep getting blessed. Let's pray.